Welcome to Well Connected with Dr. Joe Kavidar, a podcast series from Partners Connected Health. I'm your host, Joe Kavidar. Join me for interesting and thought-provoking conversations with the leaders, disruptors, and innovators who are redefining the future of technology-enabled health and wellness. When writing my second book, which focuses on aging and technology, I could think of no better person to set the overall tone, provide perspective, and open the book with a meaningful and inspirational forward, and that was Charlotte Yeh. And she did not disappoint. Charlotte has experienced the spectrum from chief of an emergency medicine department at two major Boston area hospitals to a patient left wondering if she would ever live a, quote, normal life again to the arbiter of healthy aging for AARP and its nearly 40 million members. If you've had the privilege to meet Charlotte during the past several years, she most likely was carrying a cane the residual of a horrific car accident about seven years ago. But it wasn't just any cane. It was adorned with brightly colored flowers, ribbons, and sparkle. That cane broadcast her personality, love of life, determination, and what is her professional mission to redefine aging. Happily, she is no longer fully dependent on the cane, but her persona and passion continue to shine through and serve as a beacon for all of us hoping to improve the health span. In our discussion, I asked Charlotte how she defines resiliency and its significance as we age. She outlines three components of resiliency, which I have to tell you opened my mind to an area of medicine that I previously dismissed, relationship between social engagement and health, and what some call soft science of optimism, meaning, and purpose and how we can impact our health and well-being. Her wisdom greatly helped shape the content of my book and is helping our society better understand the importance of redefining aging. As you hear Charlotte talk about the importance of resiliency, optimism, meaning, and purpose, I can assure you that many in our audience today will be able to personally relate. An aging parent or grandparent A neighbor or friend, we all know older adults who can and should be valued and remain engaged and productive. Unfortunately, many older adults are put out to pasture simply because of their age. 65 is a number that can change people's lives and not always for the better. But with Charlotte providing an important rallying cry we can create technologies that will allow older individuals to thrive in motion rather than age in place. I'm delighted to welcome Charlotte as my next guest. Dr. Charlotte Yeh is the Chief Medical Officer for AARP Services, Inc., the wholly owned subsidiary of AARP. ASI manages the carrier relationships for and performs quality control oversight of the products and services that carry the AARP name and are made available to AARP's almost 40 million members to help enhance care for older adults. 
Dr. Ye has more than 30 years of healthcare experience. As a practitioner and chief of emergency medicine at Newton Wellesley Hospital and Tufts Medical Center, as a medical director for the National Heritage Insurance Company, a Medicare Part B claims contractor, and as the regional administrator for the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services in Boston. She's widely recognized for her commitment to and passion for the healthcare consumer and has received numerous honors for her efforts on behalf of patients. As a healthcare leader, she has served on numerous boards and committees throughout her career and currently sits on the Optum Labs Scientific Advisory Board. She's also a member of the Advisory Council for the National Institute on Deafness and Other Communicable Disorders, the Personal Connected Health Alliance Board of Managers, and the Board of Directors for the Schwartz Center for Compassionate Care. Dr. Ye received a BA from Northwestern University and her medical degree from Northwestern University Medical School. She completed her internship in general surgery at the University of Washington and her residency in emergency medicine at UCLA. So again, welcome Charlotte uh, to uh, be with us today. Thank you very much, Joe. I am just so honored and delighted and it's wonderful to be here to have a conversation with you. So I'm going to start out uh, with something that we both recently worked on. You graciously agreed to write the forward to my latest book, The New Mobile Age, How Technology Will Extend the Health Span and Optimize the Lifespan. And in, in that forward, you explore the question, what is old? Your research and observations in your role at AARP Services led you to understand and share with us in that writing how exciting aging is. What a concept. Rather than seeing older generation as an economic burden, that they should be recognized as a significant contributor to society. And, I, and I'll, I'll say probably multiple times as we talk today how much of an inspiration you've been to me and my thinking around this topic. You also shared a very personal and moving account of how you came to appreciate resiliency through the lens not only of a chief of emergency medicine at two major Boston hospitals and decades of administrative experience, but more, more especially as a patient. Uh, unfortunately, after being hit by a car seven years ago, uh, you wrote about what that accident and the extended recovery taught you, how it taught you several important lessons about facing personal change and came away with a new attitude to find a new normal. Our listeners would really love to hear a little bit more about that story, if you would mind uh, telling it again for us uh, for now. And, and just that, that part about resiliency, about how you uh, uh, took the accident and, and, and turned it around into something that made you stronger, better, and, and uh, a, a more powerful contributor to society. Well, thanks, Joe. Uh, thank you. Thank you for asking. Um, so it was um, a few years ago, and uh, I was, you know, um, traveling for business in Washington, D.C., about to meet a colleague for dinner, and it sent her a little text, see in five minutes, and was walking there. And, you know, like all of us, you know, you just uh, see your day being active, busy, you know, you're always working and uh, running from thing to thing. And so, of course, you know, I 
uh, goes across the street, the walk sign says green, I'm in the crosswalk, and then bam. You know, suddenly there's a stump and you're going, what was that? Oh my God, if it was me, as you're flying through the air and you land on the ground and you go, oh my God, I think I just got hit by a car. And in that instant, your life changes and you realize, um, oh no, I'm, no longer, I'm not even the doctor in the emergency room, I'm the patient. <laughs> um, and you begin to face that um, life's really changing. I mean, I got hit hard enough, I had to relearn how to walk. Um, I was now a patient and seeing the healthcare system from a total different side and facing the thought that, oh no, I might never walk normally again. I'm told you will always need a cane, you will never be cane free, and all the things you can no longer do. And moreover, I found myself um, in that sandwich generation, but not the middle-aged woman who takes care of her children and her parents, the middle-aged woman whose children are taking care of her and her 85-year-old mother is coming home to take care of you because you can't do anything for yourself. Um, and, uh, you know, saying, is this going to be my life? And then you realize, you know, I have a lot of things to be grateful for. And it's amazing when you flip that switch from feeling sorry for yourself to saying, you know, hey, I'm still alive. What else can I do? You know, maybe this is the start of a new challenge. And I went on to you know, do physical therapy. I can now say I'm in better shape now than I was before I got hit by a car. I've even grown an inch taller. Um, and I learned to turn um, the um, sign of disability, this cane, into, you know, why should it represent disability? What if I put flowers and ribbons on it and decorate it so it becomes my new accessory mm. and my new sign of ability? Um, and it was that transition that really opened my eyes on how we view disability, aging, you know, any compromise. Um, because when I was first walking around with a walker cane, everyone had this oh sorrowful face on, oh my God, what happened? You got hit by a car. My goodness, you got to sit down. Johnny, don't bump into that little old lady. Um, and I'd go home thinking, I was so excited. I was standing up and now I'm so depressed because I must look terrible. And I was feeling good when I started out the door. And when you walk outside with the cane totally reshaped, um, people said, oh my God, that is so much fun. I didn't even know, did you go to a wedding? I didn't even know that was a cane. And they were beaming and laughing and saying, oh, we gotta take pictures, I gotta tell you about my mom. And all of a sudden it was a door opening to connect to others and show how um, different life can be if you can just flip the switch and talk about what you can be Amazing, amazing story. Well, thank you for that. I, I, I want to, uh, because I was myself so inspired by this uh, part of, of learning about your journey, I want to explore the concept uh, of resiliency a bit with you. Uh, and you talk uh, eloquently about it in three components, uh, a strong sense of purpose, a positive view of aging, and social connections. And uh, of course, that, as I said earlier, and I'll say it multiple times that really changed my view of the health span and uh, and how important it is that we think differently about the process of aging. But I wondered if you could uh, talk a little bit more about the importance of resiliency uh, and, and the role of what some consider that's the soft science of optimism, uh, meaning purpose, and, and how that can play out 
uh, as we look to uh, bring the health span into the into focus with the lifespan. So, um, you know, thank you for asking. And this really started because, you know, as a physician, as you and I both know, we see a lot of frailty, and we're always focusing on the failure to thrive. But as um, an emergency physician from way back when, I was always curious as to why I could see one 80-year-old woman coming in with a broken hip and look at her and go, I know she's going to walk out of the hospital. And then the next bed over, you could have the exact same injury, the exact same age, and another woman, and you would look at her and say, oh, this is the end of the road. And we in healthcare, you know, focus on that end of the road, as I said, that failure to thrive. But why don't we ever look at what makes someone not fail to thrive, but to actually thrive? What brings that vibrancy and vitality as we age? And I've learned through ARP, as you get older, um, you know, in and around 50, your happiness index starts to go steadily up because you begin to accept you are who you are. And, you know, I'm not pushing for change. Um, and what allows us to make that difference? Um, what is it that when you get knocked down or hit by a car, in my case, that allows you to get back up and stand up again? Um, and as we were exploring the literature, we thought it must have to do with resiliency, the ability to adapt. And it's not just adapting to you get a new diagnosis of cancer, you have a heart attack, you have a stroke. It's actually the resiliency that allows you to manage um, when life happens. Your spouse dies, you get divorced, your kids move out of the house, your pet dies, your kids move back into the house. Um, how do you adjust through those transitions um, and continue to look forward? So as we explored the literature, there's many, many things that can contribute to resiliency. But there were three in particular that we felt were both meaningful, had the opportunity to be mitigated, um, and tools to allow one to um, improve your resiliency, whether you're 10 years old, 50 years old, 65, or 80, um, that it was possible to change um, for the better, and tools that anybody can use. And so we settled on these three um, factors, or three pillars. I call them, these are now the personal determinants of health, because these are things that any one of us um, can learn. And the first is having a strong sense of purpose. The second is um, being optimistic, particularly uh, with a positive view of aging. And thirdly, um, social connections. So if you think about purpose, it turns out that people with a strong sense of purpose have fewer heart attacks, fewer strokes, fewer cases of dementia, better blood pressure, better cholesterol, more preventive services from mammograms to colonoscopies and flu shots, um, and if you're really into dollars and cents, 61% fewer nights in the hospital, 32% fewer doctor visits. And in our AARP-branded Medicare Supplemental Plan, those with the highest sense of purpose had a 40% lower per member per month healthcare cost than those with the least amount of purpose or meaning in life. Secondly, let's talk about optimism, especially that positive view of aging. If you think positively in what your vision of aging looks like when you think of the future as opposed to memories of the past, it turns out that you're 44% more likely to fully recover from a severe disability. Hey, you know, I'm not walking without a cane. Um, that might mean something. <laughs> um, you have an uh, 
much as an 80% reduction in cardiovascular risk. On autopsy, people with a positive view of aging actually have fewer plaques and tangles indicative of dementia. And again, for you numbers and you know numbers and dollars, guys, you know who care about the health, cost of healthcare, half the hospitalizations. And finally, um, we are very, very human being centered. You know, we are social beings at our very core, and social connection is extraordinarily powerful and important for our overall sense of health and well-being. Um, there have been meta-analyses that show that loneliness has a greater risk on mortality than even obesity. In fact, it has the risk of smoking half a pack of cigarettes or 15 cigarettes a day. Um, and there was a study by AARP's Public Policy Institute that showed um, people who were socially isolated cost Medicare an additional $6.7 billion a year. So these matter. And if you can't remember purpose, optimism, and social connection, uh, I like to say uh, just remember your ticket to health, to longevity, to vibrancy and vitality is what gets you up in the morning, who do you do it with, and do you have a smile on your face? Nice, nice. Uh, well, again, uh, uh, wonderfully stated and uh, became thematic for not only the book that we worked on together, but a number of talks I've given since about the content from that book and blog posts and whole, a whole series of things uh, that I've become uh, passionate about. So I, I thank you for that and for sharing it with our listeners as well. Uh, we both share a passion for patient-centered, consumer-driven, and technology-enabled healthcare. Uh, and we found each other around that passion. Uh, you, you would agree, I'm sure, as healthcare providers, we need to change our approach from telling patients what they should do to helping them better understand how to use emerging technologies to improve their lives, to take charge, to be in their own driver's seat. Uh, in our book, you outline how technology can successfully reframe aging if technology addresses three critical elements. Design for everyone, reducing the burden of care at home, at work and at play, and creating meaningful connections. Can you talk more to, uh, to us about the role that you think technology plays in these areas would be great, but also just generally speaking, and as we reframe aging, as we tackle it societally? So um, I think, as I said earlier, um, having that positive view of aging is really um, uh, critical to both your sense of well-being, your health, and frankly, has an impact on what we spend on healthcare costs. So if I were to look at technology, you know, this is our greatest opportunity, maybe not the greatest, but certainly a major opportunity to really rethink aging. You know, what, what, can we use technology to tap into the assets of aging? We are not necessarily about decline, but think about this. As you age, it's true, your brain does not process information as fast as when you were 16, but it turns out you actually have better problem solving, better pattern recognition, better empathy, uh, better um, emotional resilience, um, better um, uh, problem solving, pattern recognition, in short, better executive function. You are, get wiser as you age. And why are we not tapping into that wisdom? Um, and the 50 and older, the older adult, 
actually contribute to economy. There's $7.6 trillion of uh, economy that are generated by the older adult. Um, and in fact, over half of all discretionary consumer spending are made by the 50 and older, not necessarily millennials and Gen Xers. This is where the money is in, and the charitable contributions largely come from this population. So if I were in technology, you know, I would really want to appeal um, to those people who are spending the discretionary money and who are looking to truly live better life. You know, we're not thinking about how we manage our chronic illnesses. We're really thinking about how do I live well and enjoy my life with fun and joy. So that's how I came up with, you know, these kind of three very pragmatic areas to think of. And the first is um, think of universal design. You are not designing for old. Oh, my goodness, we need to design this remote monitoring uh, so, you know, grandma can be safe in her wheelchair. Okay. I mean, I'm exaggerating a bit, but where is the fun? Where is the joy? Why are we not designing for all? So think about curb cutouts. Um, that were designed for wheelchairs and handicapped. Who uses it more than anyone else? It's mothers with babies and strollers. That is a design whether you're 83 or three or an infant um, benefits you. We should be thinking of the kind of design that brings fun and joy and beauty. Um, there is a woman in Canada who makes a hearing aid that is the blingiest hearing I've ever seen with Savarsky crystals. Um, there is a woman and her husband, a woman who was on a walker and uh, lives in Maine, who really missed walking in the woods. And since no one else would do it, they designed a walker that allowed her to go on all terrain and she can actually go on hikes in the woods with her walker. So if we are, um, you know, want to take advantage of the opportunity of technology, um, we should do it so you can enjoy it no matter what your age. I mean, Hasbro created a line of toys, the animatronic dogs and cats, um, because they recognize you can have fun and entertainment at any age. And these have gone very, become very popular among uh, uh, families with um, uh, dementia um, because it's a way to have a pet that you don't have to care for but has all the features um, of you know, companionship. Um, the second area is, um, you know, in healthcare traditionally, we sort of have the patients circulate around us. Here's when the appointment time is, here are the places you need to go. And for example, and, and this is really recent, and you know, just a few months ago, after having some surgery and going to see the doctor, I got my uh, prescription. Um, I went to the first pharmacy because I thought, oh, it's close to my office, that's pretty convenient. They said, oh, we don't have the pills, you're going to have to go to this other pharmacy, it's 10 blocks away. And I thought, well, I can walk 10 blocks, I'm going to have to the second pharmacy. And they go, well, we don't, ha we actually have two of the pills. If you need more than that, we actually don't have any more, you're going to have to go to this third pharmacy, which is now, you know, Uber, Lyft right away. Um, it literally took me two hours to find the right pharmacy all in the same chain that happened to have my pills on hand. Now, if I go into a department store and I love this dress and they don't have it in my size, they can tell me every single store in the country who has the dress, how many they have, and how soon can they get it delivered to your home. You know, did we forget this in healthcare? You know, did we think about how we can reduce that burden on the family? Um, there is a Harvard study out there that says people um, who have to go see the doctor, costs about two hours out of your day. 
35 minutes to get there, 20 minutes to wait, 20 minutes for the visit, 35 minutes to get home. And that's assuming you have a car, you're not doing public transportation, you're not looking around and finding someone uh, for a ride. And yet we never think about that burden on the family. We talk about the disruption to the workflow of the practice for the physician, and we need to improve and make it smoother in the, work, uh, in the workflow. We never talk about the workflow of life. There are some estimates that for every chronic condition you have, it takes an extra 10 hours a week to care for them, for diabetes, managing your numbers, picking the right equipment, um, checking your blood sugar, getting your um, uh, prescription refilled, uh, changing your diet, going to the grocery store with a new set of um, ingredients that you uh, can now eat and, and changing habits. Um, so if the uh, opportunity for technology to take advantage of how do we reduce that friction and make it simpler and easier and convenient so it is not a burden to have to remember your medications. Um, and the third area, um, and you heard me talk earlier, the power of social connections. Mm -hmm. Now, um, term isolation is an objective term. It measures your actual um, number of friends um, around you, the size of your network. Loneliness is really how you feel about it. So there are two sides of the coin, but both really, really powerful. Um, there was an ARP um, study that looked at 14 healthy behaviors, right? We want everyone to be healthy. And sure enough, people with higher income, women, you know, and um, higher education tend to do more healthy behaviors. But interestingly enough, it was also correlated with how many close friends you reported. People with five or more close friends had the most healthy behaviors, one to four, the next uh, most uh, uh, common healthy behaviors. and. Uh, those who said no close friends had the least number of healthy behaviors. So again, um, if we've got social media that can connect people to people and hopefully meaningfully connect people to people, um, then we will have sort of recreated the tribe, um, recreate um, our social network of support, um, give us that uh, encouragement to change behavior if we need to, um, and follow the kind of healthy behaviors or follow the regimens um, for how to live your best life. Um, so if, again, if technology can just, you know, make it easy for us, make it frictionless, make it a design of beauty and fun and ease, um, and allow us to connect to people uh, meaningfully um, for us, um, that could be the ticket where technology could take off and, and have a difference. And, and frankly, um, if we can think of technology of giving us that opportunity to bring empathy and compassion back into our conversations with doctors, with one another, um, you know, talk about the reduction in stress and anxiety and strokes and heart attacks and, you know, cortisol levels. Um, you know, we, we can truly change how we age. Well stated, uh, indeed, indeed. Uh, uh, the last thing I want to talk to you about today is AARP and your CEO, Joanne, and, and, and just how, how you fit in. There are a number of exciting initiatives under the way, underway there, from Life Reimagined, uh, inspiring individuals to imagine what their future can look like, to staying in shape, disrupt aging, Tell us more about what's going on at AARP and uh, how you see that playing a role 
in this larger uh, vision for changing how we think about aging? Well, right, thanks for asking. A ARP under Joanne Jenkins, um, uh, feels, and, and it was really under the direction of Joanne Jenkins, to say it is time to disrupt aging. We need to challenge those old biases. Um, you know, when we think of aging, it is not about gray hair and wrinkles and canes. Um, it is really about um, opportunity. And why at 50 or 75 or 85 or 100 can we not assure we have a vision for the future instead of a collection of memories? Or as one of my colleagues, um, Lou Sandy, has said, you know, when you look around and everything thinks of aging as the ravages of life, why are we not thinking about the merit badges of life? That that experience is what makes us so unique and so contributory. So what Joanne is pushing for under disrupt aging, and it's not just in the U.S., but around the world, um, the demographics are, it's not just the 10,000 turning 65 every day, it's that 85 is the fastest growing age group, 100 and older is the second fastest. We have to be thinking about our 100-year-old lifespan. Um, so to that end, um, we are exploring things, as I said, um, what allows you to live with fibrin and vitality. Um, they are supporting um, caregivers so that no matter what age, both as a caregiver and if you're someone who is cared for, life continues to be easier and better for you um, and the way you want to live. Um, they are looking at the workforce and saying for the first time uh, in history, we're having multi-generational workforces. And so are we thinking in the workforce of diversity across age, not just gender, you know, social orientation, race and culture, but that diversity of age also allows one to be more productive as a company um, and more likely to have positive uh, revenue generation. Um, in, in short, um, we are looking at age in a very holistic way. It's not only about your health, it's the finance financial resiliency, and the third category, which we are now embarking on, um, that we forget is that personal fulfillment, that fun and joy of life. So as I like to say, um, we shouldn't be talking about aging in place. We really, you know, it, it's not this static, you know, decline. It's really about thriving in motion, whether it's you know, your, your mental capacity, your physical capacity, and even if you decline, it doesn't mean you can't thrive. And in fact, I ultimately think the uh, best measure for healthcare is not necessarily mortality, morbidity. I mean, they're important. Um, or quality of life or functionality. Ultimately, isn't it about life satisfaction? And when you talk about at the end of the line that you can look back on your life and say I was satisfied. I wasn't perfect. There are a lot of things I couldn't do. There's a lot of things that I didn't do as well as I got older, but there are things I did do better. And when push comes to shove, I'm satisfied. I like it. I like okay. it. So for ARP, it's really about embracing whatever age we are, um, beauty at every age, and um, living the best life you can. Well, I really have enjoyed this. I, I know our listeners will get tremendous value out of it. Everyone who listens to you always gets tremendous value out of hearing the wisdom that comes from what you say and how you put it all together. What 
should I have asked you that I didn't, or what is it that you might want to talk about that we didn't have time to talk about? You know, thank you uh, so much for letting me share, you know, the observations, um, the research, um, and the experience, you know, that I've had, um, you know, over the years. Um, and I hope it came out with clarity, with understanding, but most of all, with inspiration, with aspiration. Um, you know, we historically think of life as you're born, you go up the career ladder, you work, and then you retire and you slide off into the sunset. It turns out if you actually look at life and people, that's not what happens after all. We are constantly evolving, going through transition. Um, in fact, uh, three quarters of Americans at any point in time are either going through a major life change or expect to go through a major life change. So we are always about um, what's next. And whether you're 40, 65, or 100, it, we should always be thinking about what's next, what's that vision, what gets us up in the morning. Um, you know, and, and it, that is what will bring us happiness, joy, and satisfaction. Beautifully stated. Thanks so much, Charlotte, for joining us today. episode, we take a moment to answer one question from our followers in a segment my team likes to refer to as Ask Joe. I really like today's question. When you started out over 20 years ago, you had a vision for connected health. Has where we are today met your expectation? And what were the unexpected challenges you faced? Uh, this could be the subject of a book. So I'll try to be succinct in answering the question. The, the answer is that the vision has never wavered, but what's happened is things have, have come into focus that we didn't really envision. A, a great example of this is when we started working with video conferencing in the mid-1990s. Everything was the size of a television set. It all came in big box form factors. We had to have several telephone lines to do a video call. And we never really dreamed, no matter how much we could envision uh, uh, shrinking or, or, or shrinking the technology, we never dreamed that we'd have something like a smartphone that was wireless that would enable us to do a video call. I'm, I'm often, uh, I'm a fan of, of the film uh, Blade Runner, and I think one of the really great scenes in Blade Runner is when uh, the Harrison Ford character goes over to a phone booth to make a video call. It really illustrates this, this interesting way that technology comes into focus. So that's just one example uh, how we thought video was going to work out a certain way. The other thing that we didn't really anticipate was how ubiquitous the communications tools would become, i.e., again, smartphones, wireless, cloud, all of these technologies that enable us to do things today that we just couldn't dream of 25 years ago. And yet... Healthcare still lags in our adoption because we're stuck with this concept of in-person, face-to-face visits. Uh, and that's uh, perhaps something that's been a challenge for us is that we are so wedded to the concept that the way we get something done in healthcare is an office visit. 
we found it really hard to break out of that mold and, and really use these emerging technologies to our benefit. We'd love to hear from you. If you have a question you'd like answered on a future episode, send it to us via social media with a hashtag AskJoe, and we'll do our best to answer it in an upcoming podcast. Thanks for listening to Well Connected with Dr. Joe Kavidar. A special thanks from me personally to Tony McMillan, our engineer, and Lynn Josephson, our senior marketing manager for putting this series together. If you enjoyed our show and want to know more, visit our website at partners.org forward slash connected health, all one word. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn at Connected Health. For more episodes of our series, search Partners Connected Health on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and wherever else you listen to podcasts.